It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's midweek with Sam Ekstrom and Sage Rosenfels on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom at Sage Rosenfels 18. Good morning, Sage. Good morning to you, Mr. Ekstrom. Good to reconnect with you after Vikings OTAs yesterday. And I guess that's where we will start. I was struck yesterday by how lively they were in practice yesterday. There was a lot of good natured trash talk, high energy practice very up tempo as lively honestly as i've seen in any ota practice or frankly any training camp practice uh what do you think that means uh it doesn't mean anything uh <laughs> you know this the summer the otas the mini camps uh, even training camp there seems to be sort of an ebb and flow that changes every year in really every practice and uh you know for the most part guys are going out there they're getting their business done they're putting their work in uh, you know, those types of things. And then there's occasionally just these random days. Uh, and I don't, there's no there's no reason it's not because of Zimmer gave some speech or or whatever. It just there's the random days where, you know, trash talk occurs or, or guys have more energy. There's there's a little more uh, this real competition where, where guys uh, are t- the offense is really you know trying to rub it in the defense face and the defense is stopping the offense and it you know it turns into almost a, a street ball you know basketball court uh you know type of atmosphere of a lot of trash talk so i mean it could have been something that started in the cafeteria at seven o'clock in the morning um or start at uh you know in in the team meeting room and and somebody made a joke at somebody else and it turned into a full-on offense versus defense competition so coaches actually like it uh, when that's going on, it, it does bring more energy, more competitive competitiveness to the practice field uh, and keeps things from staying so mundane, which they can get uh, in the middle or near the end of the OTAs, which is where they are. Who is the best trash talker you ever played with? That, that is a good question. Um, Sam Madison was a, a corner, an all, an all pro or definitely a Pro Bowl corner that we had down with the Miami Dolphins. He pretty much talked trash all the time, every practice, every game. Uh, you know, he'd get beat. He talked trash. Uh, he he got he talked trash all the time. So he was, he was probably the most Sam Madison down at the Miami Dolphins. What was the most trash you ever talked? <laughs> Me? Yeah. None. <laughs> I, uh, I, I wasn't much of a wasn't much of a trash talker. I I, uh, I, I tried to just. Do my talking with, with by hopefully winning football games and, and throwing for a lot of yards. That was the best trash that I could talk. I, I did not have any of that in my game. So Teddy Bridgewater uh, doing a little bit more yesterday, doing a little bit more with his drops. He's throwing deeper passes. He aired it out yesterday. But at thescore.com, 
you outline the Vikings quarterback situation, and you do it very well, very thoroughly with Bradford and Teddy. Do you think, is there a risk here for the Vikings that if Sam Bradford has a pretty good year, that Bradford just says, well, heck, I've had two good years now. I'm just going to hit the market. And then the Vikings are in a pickle because, let's say, Teddy doesn't rehab quite as well as they hope. Then they're stuck. I mean, do they need at some point to strike with Bradford for this extension to make sure something like that doesn't happen? No, I I think that they're in a position where they've got two QBs who have played well for them. Um, Bradford is what he is. Uh, He has strengths and he has weaknesses, uh, but he's a pretty consistent quarterback for the most part. Uh, you know, and, I, and I sort of outlined this in the article. Uh, he set an NFL record last year for highest completion percentage in the history of the game. The problem is they had the lowest. Uh, he threw the ball sh- the, the shortest amount, basically. You know, his average pass uh, was extremely short. They rarely threw deep balls. They rarely connected on, on deep balls. They didn't even really throw the ball, you know, 18 to 20 yards down the field very often. So... Of course, that makes sense. You throw the ball short a lot, you should have a really high completion percentage. Well, the reason that they had to do that was because they had absolutely no running game. Uh, and that was part of Adrian Pearson. That was part offensive line. We have no running game. Uh, you're not going to have the ability to – you're going to be in a lot of second and long situations, third and long situations. And, and that offensive line could not pass block, you know, for four or five seconds so Bradford could get back there. Uh, and take seven steps and you know try to get 12 or 13 yards for a first down. So they ended up doing this whole really short, you know, quick game, passing game, short game type of offense, and they just couldn't score enough points. Uh, they were last in the league in, in big plays. So Bradford's value, uh, in my opinion, uh, wasn't maximized because he is a good deep ball thrower. He can throw the ball down the field. Uh, if he can have time, but he's not going to have time if they can't run the football. So I sort of broke that situation down. Um, so he's got to have a good year. And I think the thing with Bradford is if he has a good year, he will want to stay in Minnesota. He's bounced around enough uh, that, and I, I know he loves Pat Shermer. He's been around Pat Shermer for mm-hmm. a long time. I would, I'm not going to say the Vikings would get a discount, but I would assume that they would find a way. If he has a good year and they want to have Bradford back for 2018 and beyond, that they can get something done because he's made it so much money in his career that my guess that he probably would, would want to stay in the same place if that's what the Vikings the Vikings want him. My assumption was that Sam, Sam Bradford would want the Vikings back. Bradford is simultaneously the luckiest quarterback in NFL history and the unluckiest. So he's, he's the last number one pick before the slotted contracts. So he gets a fortune there. Then he gets a fortune from Philadelphia, and he's probably going to be paid well by the Vikings. Uh, made over $100 million easily. But he tears his knee up twice. He goes to Philadelphia. Suddenly they don't want him. Comes to Minnesota, and there's this kind of this presence of Teddy Bridgewater. He's had a lot of financial success in the NFL, but it's kind of come at a price, hasn't it? He has had a ton of financial success. But he does have good potential in the sense that he always looks good in practice. He's an extremely accurate passer. Uh, where, where he's not as valuable is the fact that he's not a playmaker. Uh, he's not a guy who, when the pocket breaks down, uh, you know, like, like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or uh, a lot of these quarterbacks, that they can really make something happen. He is a guy that goes out there and they design an offense, they design pass plays, and he tries to execute those plays. He does a very good job of that. So 
Uh, he does that better than, I would say, the majority of quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, the issue is that sort of second part of the play when, you know, the, the plan A breaks down. Um, so on the, on the opposite side, we started this conversation with talking about Teddy Bridgewater. Well, that's one of Teddy's strengths is his ability to make things happen when the pocket breaks down. Uh, he, he, he does one scramble for, to run, but he also scrambles to throw. Uh, but if his knee is not 100%, um, he's not, uh, he doesn't have that ability to, to make things happen, to buy time, to scramble, scramble to run, scramble to throw. And at that point, he's just a, a poor man's version of Sam Bradford. He, he's not quite as accurate a passer. Uh, he doesn't have quite as strong as arm for deep throws. Uh, so Teddy's real value is based off of his, his ability to move, and, and right now his knee is definitely not 100%. Uh, I spoke with somebody within the organization the other day, and uh, you know, he's got a ways to go. So, you know, as you said, right now he is just throwing to wide. He's doing one-on-one -on -one drills, so which means he's basically just dropping and letting the wide receivers do some one-on-one -on -one stuff. Uh, maybe he'll get into some seven-on-seven -seven stuff soon, but he is a long, long ways uh, before he can go out there with the team and you know, with the offensive line, defensive line, and be in that pocket. Uh, and, and face, uh, you know, sort of a real NFL pass rush. So he's a long ways away, uh, but there's this whole contract, that, you know, dispute situation brewing with the PUP list, and I'm sure he and his representatives will want to as quickly as possible, uh, you know, be ready for the season. So he's not on that PUP list, which means he'd be a free agent mm -hmm. at the end of 2017. One more quarterback question for you, Vikings-related. So yesterday, Bradford had some muscle tightness. He sat out during practice, and Taylor Heineke took a majority of the first-team reps. And Heineke is a guy that's played just a handful of preseason games his rookie year. You know, here he is in year three, and really there's not much on tape for the public to see on Heineke, but I'm sure the team has seen a great deal more of what he can do and that might explain the fascination with him because I was really impressed by him yesterday. I've consistently liked the way he moves, his arm strength. He seems to have really good pocket presence for an undrafted guy. Does that tell you that, you know, because this team has stuck with Heineke through his ankle injury, that they see something in him that they would trust him in a backup role down the road? Like they're fascinated enough to keep him around? Oh, yeah. I mean, if they've stuck with him, in particular through injuries, and I think he was on IR last year, yeah. it absolutely means they like them, you know, or like him, I should say. Um, you know, from let, let's compare my own personal experience with Rick Spielman. You know, when I was, uh, I was drafted by Washington, after a year I get traded to Miami, and, and Rick Spielman's the general manager there. I sat for four years there. Uh, I was a third-string quarterback for a number of years. I uh, didn't play, didn't get hurt or anything, but uh, Rick Spielman does understand the value of developing, you know, raw college quarterbacks that it does take two, three, even four years. If you can develop some guy that's undrafted, uh, some guy that's a sixth or seventh round draft pick, and even if he only just becomes just a good teammate and solid backup quarterback, at, at some point you, you, have to, you have to put him in there. He can win even almost half his games. You have found real, real value. Uh, with somebody drafting a later round or an undrafted free agent. So uh, that does take time, though. I mean, not all the quarterbacks are, are you know, went to Stanford or went to Michigan and went to big-time schools and had NFL-type coaching in college. You know, a lot of guys come from smaller schools, and uh, usually, if that's the case, there is a little bit longer learning curve 
uh, for them to, you know, sort of figure out the NFL game, get used to the NFL game, and and Rick Spielman definitely understands that process that it takes for a for a young raw quarterback to improve, and I think we're seeing some of the benefits of that with Taylor Heineke right now. We were talking about Spielman being with you in Miami. That'll segue us into our AFC East division preview, where uh, we'll continue going through every division in football. Obviously, New England is the king of the hill in the AFC East. They were 14-2 and last year. One of those losses was without Tom Brady. Miami made the playoffs at 10-6. and They lost in the first round. Buffalo 7-9, and New York 5-11. and What shocks me is how much New England turned this roster over. They, they actually lost a lot of free agents. Logan Ryan, Jabal Sheard, Martellus Bennett, LeGarrette Blunt, Chris Long, Archivius Mingo. They, they were really active, you know, losing and gaining players. Bring in Stephon Gilmore, Lawrence Guy, Rex Burkhead. So New England is still changing up this team, even though they're Super Bowl champions. They lost two games last year. They're definitely not content just standing pat. And they never are. And it, it does seem like they do an, a one heck of a job of getting rid of players that everybody likes uh, and they get a, get rid of them at just about the right time. I mean, they got rid of Wes Welker. Maybe a year or so early, West went out to Denver and had a couple of good years with Peyton Manning, but they don't hang on to those guys usually too late in their career. If they're going to get those those veterans, they usually go after them at the end of their career and get them from, for, for really, really cheap. Get them for the veteran minimum, minimum or a million dollars or two million dollars a year. Uh, but they don't have guys who are paid a lot of money. Uh, they try not to pay them sort of beyond uh, what they what their value is. And and they also always feel good about you know the way they develop players. That's another thing is they do a phenomenal job developing players. So there's sometimes guys in the practice squad or some young backups that we don't know much about, but they've got such good coaching in New England that they develop their young players very very well. So when they do move on from a veteran. Uh, they have these guys that no one's heard of who step in and do a really good job for them. Well, it couldn't be clearer who the favorite is in the division. I think the question is, who is number two in the AFC East? I think a case could certainly be made for Miami. Adam Gase has done a great job last year with Tannehill and getting that team turned around late in the year. They won double-digit games. Buffalo, a team that underwent a coaching change, Sean McDermott taking the reins there. I feel like it's between those two squads for the second spot. Oh, no doubt, and and I, if, I'm not sure if, if the listeners have been on Twitter all the last 24 hours. I believe an NFL executive said that the New York Jets had the worst have the worst roster that they've seen in the NFL in over a decade. Oh. Uh, they have a terrible roster. They never really found the quarterback in free agency. Uh, they you know they don't have a a big big time starter on the roster. I'd say it's the weakest quarterback situation in the league. Um, if not one of them, and they've got a sort of a fire show uh, with the rest of the roster. So uh, the Jets are going to be number four this year. They might only win a couple games. Buffalo, I like. I like Tyrod Taylor. At some point, I need to write an article about Tyrod Taylor in this Buffalo quarterback room. I like what Tyrod Taylor, what they can do. When I was doing research on Sam Bradford, this was just interesting. The, uh, the Vikings had 51 big plays last year. Number one in the NFL the Buffalo Bills. Wow. 73 run plays that were considered big plays, which I think is either a plus 15 or a plus 20. They had 73. The Vikings had 51 total big plays. 
last year. I think it was like, I think it was 25 and 26. Buffalo had 73 just runs uh, and then like 22 passes or 25 passes or something like that. So they are a team that makes big plays. Uh, They run the ball well. Uh, Tyrod Taylor uh, and LaShawn McCoy. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a legit He's sort of a Russell Westbrook or Russell sorry, Russell Wilson. He does <laughs> Triple doubles he throws every night. the ball well. Yeah, he throws the ball well, and uh, and he really can beat teams with his legs. And I think his running ability helps out the team's running ability of why they have seventy three you know big plays last year in the run game. What do you know about McDermott, the new coach? It sounds like he is one of those coaches that came in and is trying to, and they always say I'm you know trying to change the environment, but it sounds like he really is in a sense of he's changing the way uh, all media stuff works. I mean, everything is going through him. There aren't going to be assistants or, or offensive and defensive coordinators, you know, discussing things with the media. It is going to be a one voice show. Uh, it's going to be a sort of a one person at the top is the speaker of the team. Um, and that's the way it's going to be. I think it's going to be uh, definitely more streamlined situation there. I think he's trying to cut out all the fat in that organization, uh, cut out any sort of nonsense that might go on, and you know, get get uh, your quotes and your information directly from the head coach. And so uh, I, I, some coaches prefer that way. They like to control the message, control everything. I mean, you never see uh, Josh McDaniels really get interviewed you know, almost ever. You know, Belichick controls that whole situation. So some coaches are, are happy to let their assistants talk a lot. It's good for their careers, good for them to get up in front of the microphone. You know, be seen around the league. Uh, and other coaches like to control a situation, and, and Sean McDermott's one of those. And I, and I think he's always been a very, very good coordinator. He's been around the league a long time. Uh, he was in Philadelphia, and he, and he was the, I think he was a secondary coach under Jim Johnson, who I truly believe Jim Johnson, one of the great defensive coordinators in NFL history. I mean, the guy was absolutely phenomenal. A lot of Andy Reid's success when he was in Philly was because of Jim Johnson, their defense was absolutely phenomenal. So he learned from him, and uh, and I think he's a very good defensive coach, and I think he's going to be a very good head coach. Let's finish up talking about the Jets because they were in the news yesterday saying that they're going to cut ties with two good players, Eric Decker and David Harris, in what's basically a cost-cutting move. And Rich Simony at ESPN.com has an article out today basically saying the Jets are straight-up tanking. We hear about this with the Philadelphia 76ers and the process and all that. But tanking, I mean, before a season starts in the NFL, that's a pretty serious accusation. What's the point of having Eric Decker if you don't have a quarterback who's been throwing the ball? So why? I, you know, I'm sure his salary is six to probably more like eight or nine million dollars this year. I mean, he signed a very, very good contract when he left Denver, and there's no point to have a you know big time receiver. You know, paying big-time receivers because they don't have quarterbacks who can throw them the ball. They they truly don't, and uh, that team is a long ways away from from getting back uh, into the competitive race of the AFC East. I think they're they're probably a couple years away if they, they play all their cards right and get lucky. Um, but and I like Todd Bowles. I like this team a couple years ago, but for whatever reason, uh, their 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 team has gotten worse and worse and worse. And they will not be competitive in that AFC East. So uh, it's too bad. I think when the, the Jets are one of the one of the great organizations, just because they're in New York, you know. And, and I think this is where you see the difference between the Giants and the Jets. And I'm someone who played for the Giants, but you see this difference. You don't see Giants teams. Uh, they're not a roller coaster team. They're consistently in that sort of seven to ten wins almost every year. They're sort of a an organization of consistency where the Jets are. 
sort of boomer bust and, and you, you, weird things come out of the, the locker room with things the guys say and guys do. You just don't get that out of the New York Giants organization. Uh, and you see seasons like this out of the Jets organization, organization it seems like about every four or five years. Very curious. And, and the common thread there is the Bills and the Jets, who are both kind of at the moment languishing in the AFC East. Rex Ryan, one coach ago. So I don't know much about Rex. Doesn't seem like he leaves organizations in the best possible positions he does so much uh defensively he does you know he's one of those he comes in the defense usually gets better and the offense usually gets worse uh and for whatever reason he just keeps going doing the same thing over and over of let's you know have a great defense and have this offense that just runs the football and you know doesn't lose it for us and it, it it's never it never worked for him uh and you know now i'm watching you know the news and he's getting bar fights with his brother i mean it's uh, that's, that's a whole other situation, but yeah, it does seem like when Rex leaves organizations, uh, they're in disarray. He's not the, he was, you know, Rex Ryan is not Mr. Professional and teams usually sort of have a, an order to them. And I think the way his sort of style is, is sort of disordered. And, uh, once he leaves that, you know, disorder sort of shows itself. We'll talk to you again on Friday, Sage. A good show today. We talked Bridgewater, Heineke, Bradford, everything you could ever want to hear about Vikings quarterbacks in an AFC East preview. That's the show. It's Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network, chugging along here in the month of June as the preseason approaches. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.